0: but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash notjustanyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash notjustanyone.
1: C-13 Originals.
2: This is a documentary series about Tracy Lords, who entered the porn industry at age 15 and left at age 18. There are some who view this as the story of a young girl who was taken advantage of by a brutal industry. There are others who view this as the story of a smart and resourceful young woman who, armed with a legitimate ID, nearly took down said industry, as well as the people in it. There are still others who view this as the story of the unlikeliest of feminist icons. All views will be discussed. These are real-life events. These are real people being interviewed. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Once Upon a Time in the Valley.
3: Hi, I'm Tracy Lords. I want to tell you about sex.
2: We heard the Tracy Lords story as told by Tracy Lords, a modern day version of Little Red Riding Hood. This Red Riding Hood is the product of a broken home and a violent, alcoholic father. The first in a long series of big bad wolves she'll face in her early years. She suffers sexual abuse most damagingly at the hands of her mother's boyfriend, another big bad wolf, who is her entree into the world of pornography at the age of 15.
4: He was not my father, but I trusted him as a father.
2: She thrives there, in the den of big bad wolves. Only she's dying on the inside, is drug addicted and suicidal. But just after her 18th birthday, through a combination of good fortune, moral fortitude, In a well-timed FBI sting operation, she escapes. I had a
4: second chance, a new lease on life, and I decided I wanted to do better.
2: Words to warm the cockles of the coldest heart. Except, not so fast. Because the Big Bad Wolves have their own version of the story to tell. And it's so different from Red Riding Hood's, it's almost a different story altogether. I'm Lily Analick and this is Once Upon a Time in the Valley, featuring Ashley West. Part Two, Little Red Riding Hood's Revenge, as told by the adult industry.
1: Tell you or what?
5: I started nude modeling and then I got into films. Okay.
2: Before we start the episode, give you this Tracy, the Adult Industries Tracy. Ashley and I want to properly introduce ourselves as we require a bit of explanation. Well, not me. I'm clear-cut. What you see is what you get, pretty much. I write books and I write for magazines, mostly Vanity Fair. Ashley, on the other hand, is an altogether more mysterious, complicated, and intriguing case. By day, he's a square-john citizen. He has a mortgage, a dog, and a no-joke job in the straight world. One that requires him to head down to Wall Street each morning in a suit and a tie. And then there's that classy British accent of his. His respectability is, in short, bulletproof. By night, however, he's something entirely different. And that something is dark and louche and low-down. He's porn's very own Studs Turkel, has been interviewing adult performers, writers, directors, and producers since the 90s. No one knows more about this world than Ashley does. He hosts a podcast devoted to the golden age of pornography called The Rialto Report, and was a consultant on all three seasons of HBO's The Deuce. He's gone to a cervix inspection party with Annie Sprinkle, to a different cervix inspection party with Veronica Vera, and to a senior citizen's orgy with Eduardo Simano, He's also done Jamie Gillis's tax returns, chanted Buddhist mantras with Ultramax, and eaten Thanksgiving dinner with Harry Reams. Ashley West isn't even his real name. It's his nom de porn. That's how hardcore about hardcore Ashley is.
6: I actually didn't make it to that senior citizen's orgy with Eduardo. I had to cancel at the last minute.
2: You were invited though, that's what counts. Now, the character Tracy often played in her adult movies was a wide-eyed nubile sexually inexperienced but oh so curious. An older character would take it upon himself or herself to initiate Tracy into the ways of love in all of its many splendored, anatomically assorted forms. Tracy would of course prove herself to be the aptest of pupils, a veritable fuck prodigy.
6: I'm not trying to do anything. I just wanna learn about breasts. I wanna know why guys like them so much.
1: Cause they like to touch them when they're making love with you. Would you please cover them up?
2: In this podcast, I'm going to assume Tracy's role, the nervous novice eager to shed her innocence. At 41, I can make no claims to nobility, but I'm definitely inexperienced in the ways of the adult industry. And I'm definitely oh so curious about it. So Ashley, if I'm Tracy, that makes you the older and wiser mentor figure, the one who shows me what's what, erotically speaking. You up to the task?
6: We'll see, won't we?
2: All right, listeners. Ashley and I are about to take you into the XXX world. So put your condoms on, get that safe word ready, because we're going in hard and we're going in deep.
7: It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina. I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology. And Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: We're modeling. Uh, Which paper did you see the ad in please? And may I ask you your age? Do you have legal ID showing your age? No, no. Legal ID. Like a birth certificate, a driver's license. A driver's license, what you would use to drive a car. Well, okay, let me run it down for you. What we do is that we're licensed to get you work with professional photographers. The majority of the work that we get is nude photographic modeling. The pay does run from 100 a day up to 1500 a day, depending on who's shooting you. Would you want to make an appointment? Come in for an interview. I'll go over the shootings with you. And then you can make a decision from that. No, no, you have to come in for an interview, honey. I can't book you if I don't know what you look like.
2: If you'll recall from our last episode, Tracy's porn years, all two and a half to three years of them, are a fog to her because of her intense and sustained drug
6: use. Or so she claims.
2: Well, we're going to dispel that fog. Just blow it clean away. We want those porn years to come in crystal clear for you.
6: High definition, high resolution, the works.
2: We're picking up the action not in Steubenville or Redondo Beach but in the lime green hippie van of Roger Hayes, or rather, the man Tracy calls Roger Hayes in her memoir, her mother's ex-boyfriend and her ex-molester, cruising along the 101. Tracy has just hung up with Jim South, Tim North, she calls him in her memoir. Jim South is the founder and owner of the World Modeling Agency and the premier flesh peddler in the flesh trade. He would have given her the spiel that you just heard which is from the 1985 documentary about the adult business, Fallen Angels, since it's the spiel he gave every new girl who phoned his office. Tracy enlists Roger, maybe because she's worried her fake ID won't be enough to get her across. Or maybe because at 15 years old, she doesn't have access to a car and wouldn't know how to operate one if she did. Or maybe both. In any case, the two are headed to Jim South's offices in Sherman Oaks in the San Fernando Valley the newly minted porn capital of the world, and that in-person, let's-see-what-you-look-like meeting. Okay, I know nobody wants a history lesson, so we're gonna keep this one brief. Ashley, tell us what we need to know about The Valley circa 1984. The Notes version, please.
6: I'll keep it quick, I promise. Adult films began to enter the mainstream in the 1970s, when movies like Deep Throat and Behind the Green Door became surprise hits. Linda Lovelace, Deep Throat star, was invited by Johnny Carson onto The Tonight Show. The term porno chic was coined. But still, you couldn't see these movies in the neighborhood theater. You had to venture to the dicey part of town. Then along came the video home system, better known as VHS. Starting around 1982, you could see explicit sex in the privacy of your own living room. The adult business exploded. This is Paul Fishbein who began publishing adult video news known as ABN in 1983. ABN is to the adult industry what variety is to Hollywood. His poll.
9: We were film buffs, myself and Irv Slifkin, and we both graduated Temple University and were working at Movies Unlimited, which was the biggest video store at that time in the world. What happened was, remember that in the early 80s, most people were getting VCRs for the first time. And up until that point, as you know, if you wanted to see an adult movie, you would go to an adult bookstore or a theater or if you rented 8mm or 16mm films. So 98% of adults had never seen an adult movie, and they were coming into Movies Unlimited, and they would ask for recommendations. People had no idea what to buy, what was quality, and that's how we sort of said, oh, maybe we should make Adult Video News, which eventually became AVN, a trade magazine.
6: And video didn't just make it easier to see pornos, video made it easier to make pornos as well. No longer was a degree from NYU film school required. If you could scrape together the cash to buy a video camera, figure out where to point it, you were in business.
2: In her memoir, Tracy claims she had no idea that when she answered Jim Salsad for figure models, she was applying to become a nude model. And what's more, that Roger Hayes, who as a red-blooded American male and self-respecting pervert, surely knew what figure models meant, declined to enlighten her. This account is suspect for a number of reasons. The primary one, according to Tracy, she called world modeling and spoke to Jim himself. And Jim, we know, explained to new girls right off the bat. We heard him explain to one right off the bat in that clip from Fallen Angels that figure modeling was in fact nude modeling.
6: Yes, Jim had a set speech prepared and it's one he delivered thousands of times over a career in the adult industry that spanned 40-odd years, his gym.
8: We were running ads in most of the local papers for figure modeling. You couldn't say nude in the regular straight papers. So when they called, we were very upfront with them. We told them we were licensed and bonded with the city and state, which we were, and that the majority of the stuff that we got was figure modeling, which is nude modeling.
2: So Tracy and Roger arrive at the World Modeling Agency at 4523 Van Nuys Boulevard. In 1984, the adult business is moving from film to video. This you already know. Well, it's also moving from New York to LA, more specifically to the Valley. Just a quick shot across the Santa Monica Mountains from Hollywood. Here's LAPD Detective Bob Navarro on the reason behind the migration.
1: I um, joined
8: the Los Angeles Police Department in 1970, and uh, like all other officers, I went through you know, patrol duties and eventually ended up as a detective for the division was called Administrative Vice Division. And we handled the citywide major vice-type crimes and also the pornography for the entire city of Los Angeles. The original pornography was low quality done with filming and and they were done in New York or just about any place with a hotel room. When they developed the VHSs, the pornographers had a natural tendency to come to Los Angeles because we had the infrastructure here, we had the models, we had young ladies coming from all over the country to try to make it in the film world and many of them didn't and ended up doing obscenity or pornography.
2: Ashley, my impression of the World Modeling Office is that it's the adult industry Shangri-La, the porn promised land.
6: Yeah, it's hard to overstate the importance of this office to the porn industry. It's where new talent showed up looking to break in. It's where established talent hung out to meet directors and producers, get the word on new movies and projects in the works. It's where the directors and producers with new movies and projects in the works came to find talent. So it's where business was done, basically. But it's also where friendships were formed, romances kindled.
2: Tom Byron, the biggest male porn star of Tracy's era, along with Peter North and Mark Wallace, entered the industry in 1982, about 18 months before Tracy, by way of Houston, Texas. Here he is talking about how he got into the business and about the first time he saw the world-famous World Modeling Agency office.
1: I knew what I wanted to do when I was 15 and a half years old and I had a fake idea and I saw my first porno film. I saw Barbara Broadcast. That was my goal, to get to California and I was going to somehow figure out how to get into the porn industry because I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. February 14, 1980, I drive across the uh, California state line. I tried calling some of the companies that I would see in the credits, like Freeway Films, and I called a couple of these companies and kind of oh, I'm to yeah. You know, and they, they get these calls all day. And it was just like, you know, you probably call an agent or something, click, you know? So, I mean, that didn't work. Basically, it took me a couple of years to find my way into the business. I eventually started moonlighting at the um, La Sex shop in Sherman Oaks. The guy that was training me, uh, you know, I was working nights, he said, yeah, this girl came in here today, you know, in the magazine. I went, what? Yeah, yeah, their agency's right down the street. My ears perked up, I went, really? Yeah, it's called World Bottling or something like that. And I drove past that night and I went, there it is, it's a fucking sign, World Bottling.
2: The industry is changing, but the difference isn't just film to VHS, skyscrapers to palm trees. The talent is also different. There's a new breed of female performer, the video vixen. Ashley, who is this beguiling creature?
6: Well, the previous generation of female stars, the ones who appeared in sex films, were often a little older, with aspirations to a serious career in the arts. Porn for these women was just supposed to be a side job, a thing they did on the way to getting where they wanted to go. And often they'd wear wigs on the set, heavy makeup, anything to disguise their identities. The new female stars, The ones appearing in sex videos, however, are right where they want to be. Porn is the aspiration, and they want porn to make them famous. This is Sharon Mitchell, who began performing in New York in the 1970s, a perfect example of a sex film star. She was a dancer and a rock and roller, a fixture on the punk scene at CBGB's, even sang backup for the Ramones once or twice.
5: There was film stars and then there were video stars. So there was a definite distinction I was one of the original girls that started, you know, in film in New York in the 70s. A lot of us were already kind of rooted in either the art world, the music world, or the acting world, doing off-Broadway, summer stock, things like that. And our SAG agent actually helped us, paved our way into making extra money by introducing us to some of the people in the porn business. Whereas, you know, you cut to California and people were getting hired specifically be a porn star so that was a whole different thing and there was definitely a star maker sort of a cookie cutter everybody for a while had blonde hair (laughs) and blue eyes you know barbie doll slash surfer girl look
6: adult actor billy d who began his career in the late 70s worked through the 80s and the early 90s and who was the rare black performer in those days doesn't mind that barbie doll slash surfer girl look
1: well, in the seventies, you know, there wasn't a lot of talent out there, female-wise. Just a few women working in the business. They were uh, kind of plain, I guess you would say, more like, you know, your mom kind of plain thing. And uh, it all changed in the eighties. The video era hit in the eighties, you know, just becoming more and more acceptable. They were coming in, you know, hot, good-looking, young, dumb, and full of gum. What can I tell you? But they were getting better looking all the time. After a while, it was like, uh, am I getting paid for doing this?
6: The video vixens have to be knockouts because it's their images that adorn the box covers. And it's the box covers more than anything else that sells the video. In fact, more attention is often paid to the box cover than to the video itself. Paul Fishbein again
9: box covers were shot really beautifully. I remember that the pictures were like fashion magazine covers, and they were pornography. Beautifully shot, and sometimes the contents inside didn't come close to what was on the box cover. Tracy kind of came on the heels of that, and so she came out very glamorous. She sort of was part of that glamorization of the adult star in the 80s. Some of the companies who would just put, you know, Tracy Lords on the cover, she'd be in a four-minute scene and the rest of it would be garbage.
6: Tracy is one of the first of the video vixens. And of course, she's one of the biggest, maybe the biggest. She does, however, have two peers, Ginger Lynn and Christy Canyon. Tracy, Ginger, and Christy are the top female performers of the era.
2: Understand Ginger and Christy's path into the industry, and you begin to understand Tracy's.
0: visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today.
2: These next few minutes might seem like a digression. They're not. Tracy is utterly opaque about her time in the business. No details, no nothing. It was horrible, and that's more or less all she'll say. So we're going to give you her experience secondhand through the first-hand experiences of Ginger and Christy.
6: Ginger came first, just before Tracy, in December 1983. We'll start with her.
2: Ginger hails from Rockford, Illinois, the daughter of a cop. Here's how a nice girl like Ginger finds herself in a naughty place, like the World Modeling Agency.
3: I had moved to California to visit a family member, my grandfather who was in the hospital, that was sick. He ended up passing. And I thought that I could live in California for, you know, be kind of live on the beach to be cheap and free and easy and wonderful. And I got a job right away. Uh, I I was a manager for a Musicland store in uh, Illinois. And so I went into one of the stores and I ended up being a regional manager. So I had nine stores. But I still didn't have enough money to survive and live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. Ginger
2: spots Jim South's ad in the Orange County Register. Wanted figure models.
3: 500 to $1,000 per day. been working all these hours, and to think that I could maybe make that kind of money. I had no problem with nudity whatsoever, but I didn't think that at five-foot fun, which is slang for, you know, <laughs> however I decide I'm tall that day, but it varies from five foot to five foot four. <laughs> anyway, so I, I had some reservations about if they would hire me as a short model. But when you're naked, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and if you're proportionate right, it really doesn't matter. So what I did was, I went into Jim's office. Christy
2: Canyon comes last. She enters the business in 1984, just a few months after Tracy. And Christy's testimony is, I think, particularly valuable. Because like Tracy, unlike Ginger, Christy is a local, a valley girl, And Christy and Tracy are so close in age, not even two years apart, a year and 10 months. Here's how a nice girl like Christy finds herself at a naughty place like the World Modeling Agency.
4: It was like summer of 1984, and I was living in Hollywood at a total dump. I was barely 18, and I was waiting for my girlfriend to pick me up. And this guy pulls over in this white Trans Am. He said, oh, what are you doing? And I Want to wait in the car? And I said, sure. He was cute, like a little beach boy, you know, like a beach kid, muscular, tan, blonde hair, like not threatening looking. And he said, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I work at night at a restaurant seating people. The daytime, I work at a clothing store. And so then he said, oh, have you thought of figure modeling? And I honestly was so naive. I thought it was like hand modeling, feet, arms. And he's like, no, this is figure modeling. And he pulls out a hustler with like the paper clips on his pages. And he opens it up and it was him and Crystal Breeze. And, you know, his member was like three inches from her open and awaiting mouth. And I remember thinking, oh my God, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of sexy, but what is... I'm not from there. I'm like, you know, upper middle class family. But he gave me the card for Jim South, never threw it away and kind of kept it, kept doing my same two jobs. And then over like the next 30, 45 days, I could never catch up and bills were due. And that was in the 80s when things were cheap. And then I remember calling that number one night, like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, and left a message for Jim, and then he called the next morning.
2: I'd be curious to know what Jim said to Ginger and Christy once they were in his office, if I didn't already know. This is Jim talking to a girl named Kim in his office in the documentary Fallen Angels.
8: Okay. What I do if you decide to do this, Kim, is I help you get work with professional photographers and producers. I make sure that you're paid immediately after the shooting. Now, you did understand that most of the work is nude, right? Okay. Uh, When I get your work, a full day is up to seven hours. Now, seven hours is the maximum that anyone can keep you for a shooting. That would include makeup artists, hairstyling, nails if you needed it, lunch, the whole shebang.
2: Christy describes the experience of walking into the World Modeling Office for the first time.
4: It was an older building, like it was probably built in the 60s. Narrow staircase that walked up to Jim's offices and then straight ahead was the door and there was like that tint on the door so no one could see in. But you walked in and there was like a little room to the right and then like the big room straight ahead which is where he had the cattle calls but his office was to the left where I was probably 95% of the time. I think it had like a shag, like that multicolored shag carpet from the 70s. Like you didn't want to lose a tooth in it. You'd never find the tooth again. On the walls on each side, he had like eight by tens of girls lined up, Tracy Lords, Ginger Lynn. His desk was straight in when you walked in the door and then like a brown couch to the left. It was very kind of cluttered and small, but cozy.
2: There was something comforting about it. Ginger remembers her first impression of Jim South.
3: You know, he's the combination of Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies and Elvis. Southern drawl, big sideburns, called you darling, always made sure that he took care of me. He was a wonderful man, a wonderful agent, and for me, kind of like a father figure.
2: Ashley, was there a protocol to these meetings? Did Jim just talk to these girls, get an eye full of them, what?
6: He certainly talked to them and he certainly looked at them, but he also took Polaroid pictures of them.
2: Here he is telling a girl he's gonna take a Polaroid picture of her in Fallen Angels.
8: What I have to do is I have to get a Polaroid picture of you. So that when the photographer comes in, they look at the picture in the books. They pick you for shootings. Can I get a Polaroid of you in the studio right in there?
7: Sure.
8: Okay. Let me get you to go just make a left right into the studio, robe and polar, Jim, when you're ready. Okay?
2: And here he is actually taking a Polaroid picture of a girl in Fallen Angels.
8: Why don't you give me something maybe with a foot? on the uh, stool. It shows the lines sometimes, okay? This is a very good side profile showing the lines and the fan real good with a very special expression on the face.
2: Standing in front of Jim South and his Polaroid camera is an experience Christy will never forget. All the girls had to get
4: naked. We did like a frontal shot a side shot and as Jim would call it, a fanny shot and kind of like, you know, look over your shoulder. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm getting naked. I'm going to turn around. I don't know what he's going to do to me. And I wasn't with a lot of guys before I got in. I wasn't, you know, with maybe more than five or six guys. Yet I didn't feel scared for some reason. And I certainly didn't go, oh, I can't do this and leave. Told me to get dressed again. And didn't even make a move on me. Didn't say anything rude, you know, didn't say anything condescending. I mean, I think he said, they're gonna love your big natural, you know, breastises or, you know, something like that. And yet it was
2: so like, normal. He sounds very businesslike, Ashley, very cut and dry.
6: Well, Jim started out as an insurance salesman in Dallas before moving to Los Angeles and into the agenting line. I think porn was just another business to him. He'd sold insurance, now he was selling girls. He was a family man, stayed married to the same woman. It might have been a sleazy industry he was operating in, but I've rarely heard anyone, apart from Tracy, of course, say that he was sleazy. Here's Jim describing his ethos.
8: You know, you can be a jerk and be an agent, or you can be a nice guy and be an agent. I mean, I don't lie to him. I don't try to take him to bed. It's simply them making money. You know, and us making money. And the longer they work, the more money that both of us make. And I look at what these girls are doing to make a living. And they certainly deserve, at least from the agent making money off them, the respect. And really and truly, what most agents don't tell you is that, look, you're giving me 10%. That means I worked for you. You don't work for me. That's why you're paying me. And I believe that.
2: Okay, this was kind of amazing to me. We went to see Jim at his house in the fall of 2019, which is 35 years after Tracy and Roger Hayes went to see him at his office in 1984. Yet his memory of that meeting is so sharp, so vivid. It's like it all happened yesterday.
8: She came in. I remember it was a time of the year where it gets dark early. Back then, I stayed open until seven or eight at night. She came in with an older guy His last name was Rogers. I don't remember his first name. And he said he was her stepfather. Tracy had an absolute legal California ID with a matching birth certificates. I interviewed her, sent her to the other room. That was back when you didn't have to do movies. You could do just magazines. When she was in there undressing, and I was with Rogers. Rogers said, she'll end up doing porno. So I thought that was kind of strange. She didn't talk that much to him. It was almost as if, because we were in the little office up there, not the bigger room. Back then the bigger room was used as a little studio and she just kind of ignored him. It wasn't nasty, but kind of ignored him. She was gorgeous. She was made up. You would have never dreamed she was underage very, very confident. If you've ever met anybody 16 going on 30, that would be Tracy. I think the Texas expression would be, she was slickered now shit in the ball loker dish.
2: You might remember from the previous episode that Tracy claims in her memoir that it's at this meeting that Jim gives her her first taste of cocaine. Ashley, will you do the honors, read the passage?
6: I snorted a line of white powder north called Coke from a mirror he'd left in the little dressing area. I'd never snorted Coke before, and it gave me a weird jittery burst of energy. Suddenly I felt charged, brave from the drug and champagne. I said Coke funny because Tracy puts the word in quotation marks.
2: Yeah, I guess to convey how totally foreign an entity cocaine is to her at this point in her life. But she also says earlier in her memoir that the reason her mother and Roger were fighting so much is because Roger was both selling and using cocaine. And she'd go so far as to suggest in a 2012 talk show appearance that Roger turned her in to the FBI to avoid drug charges. So even if she herself had never taken cocaine before, she certainly knew what it was.
6: Yeah, that's the least of the problems with this cocaine story of hers
2: we asked Jim about Tracy's version of events.
6: Yeah, in her book, I
8: believe, she gave me a different name. I think it was Jim North or... I've never read her book, but whatever it was, and uh, said that I had told her she could use the restroom and there was cocaine up there. And everybody that knows me, that really knows me, laughs about that. I am so against drugs. I took two puffs off a marijuana cigarette about 40 years ago, and I hated it. And I don't even drink. I'm boring. I like Pepsis and Westerns. Jim is
2: backed up by Tom Byron.
1: Jim hated Coke. When it came to drugs and anything like Jim's as straight as they come, man. He didn't do it. He didn't like it. He didn't want his girls to do it because cocaine made the talent unreliable. You know, if a girl did cocaine, all night, she wouldn't show up to a shoot. You no, know, she would show up and be all fucked up. And, you know, the producers could that the girls didn't do a good job. So, yeah, Jim was very anti drug.
2: Christy Canyon, too. Jim South, he was the nicest
4: guy. In fact, when I, for that two months that I got into a little bit of drugs, he used to say to me, Stop it. Get off of them. You're losing your boobs. It's unhealthy. Don't do this. Like, he would never have, I call BS. I call BS on her. Jim adds this.
8: This is going to sound funny. Even with the business that I'm in, it's almost like I'm their father. I get on them if they do drugs, and I do get on them if they do drugs. I get on them if they're tardy and late for a shooting. And so anything a father would do, even out of the nude business, is what I do. Girls don't like for the agent to watch them having sex. I walked into Ron Vogel's studio, the only time that I can remember, even though I used to produce and finance some movies, but I walked in there, and I heard a girl in the back room a little later on saying, damn, he had just popped on my face when Jim South walked in my agent, and she hated that, and I understand it.
2: So, Jim's a daddy in a who's-your-daddy kind of way, but still a daddy, who said the adult industry isn't family-friendly. Next time on Once Upon a Time in the Valley, Tracy's softcore begins to harden.
8: I booked her with the photographer named Lance Kincaid, and Lance Kincaid shot her and Tom Byron together, and it was a simulation shoot, just touching no penetration.
1: She agreed to do one with me, like a still photo, and it was a softcore thing. They started fucking on the set, and the shooter had to stop shooting. Because we were into each other. We kind of made it hardcore.
2: This has been a presentation of C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran and me, Lily Analik. Directed by Zach Levitt. Created and written by me, Produced by Ashley West Edited and mastered by Chris Basil Bill Schultz, Perry Crowell and Ian Mont. Theme music and original score by Joel Goodman Production engineering and coordination by Sean Cherry and Terrence Malingone Field recording by Rich Berner Artwork, marketing and PR by Kurt Courtney, Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff Once Upon a Time in the Valley is hosted by me and Ashley West Thanks for listening
0: Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Hey friend, it's Cammy Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you could always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics. Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Listen and follow Relationship with Cammy Crawford on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.